so a few weeks ago we started this series we've called um, I Am. And that's the two words that Jesus said when he said I Am. And he gave us seven descriptions of who he was. And the whole point of this series is for us to get a clear picture of who Jesus is. Now, why does it matter that we get a clear picture? When Jeremy was leading worship a minute ago, he said it. Without Jesus, we get God wrong. And so what about what happens when we get Jesus wrong? (laughs) Then we really get God wrong. And so uh, here's a statement we've looked at again and again. When we get a clear picture of Jesus, we get a clear picture of who God wants us to be. So it's really, really, really important that we get a clear picture of who God is or who Jesus is, because when we understand who he is, then we don't misunderstand what he does or what he says or what he wants to do in our own life. So it's critical. You will find uh, every wrong theology on earth, if not every, almost every, or every wrong belief about God or misunderstanding about God comes from a misunderstanding about Jesus. The wrong application of faith, the wrong impression, the wrong ideas comes from a wrong idea of who Jesus is. So Jesus gave us really clear pictures of himself. Seven times Jesus said, I am something. Now we've looked at some of those the first week. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. And today we're going to look at the uh, time Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Now Jesus being a good shepherd you know, may not make sense to you. I I would expect that it doesn't make much sense to you. How many of you ever been reading something in the Bible and it didn't make sense to you? Like, my hand's up. How many of you have ever read the Bible? Okay, let's take a poll. Okay, all right. So if you've ever read the Bible, chances are you've read something that didn't make sense to you. I just want you to know you're in good company. John chapter 10, which is the chapter we'll be looking at today, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech. He was talking about, I'm the good shepherd and all that. And, and this verse says, but they did not understand what he was telling them. <laughs> hey, if the people who looked Jesus in the eye didn't understand everything he said, how many of you know we're not going to understand everything he said? So it's okay that you read the Bible and you go, I have no idea what this means. You're in good company. Now, why did Jesus say, I am the good shepherd? Why did he choose this word shepherd? It would have been a very, very familiar scene. It's very foreign to us, but it would have been a very familiar scene. In the region where Jesus lived, there were sheep literally everywhere. And a figure that would have been immediately recognizable to any child, any adult, any senior adult, anybody in that region would have been a shepherd. Everybody could have seen a person from a long, long way away and said, okay, that's a shepherd. I, I, I recognize their, their get-up. I recognize you know, how they walk. And even today, one of our most beloved pictures of Jesus is, is a, of a good shepherd. You know, maybe, maybe you grew up with a picture something like this. You've seen that. Uh, it's kind of a beloved picture. But the only problem with this picture is we have a really hard time relating to it because most of us have never been around sheep and never been. How many of you ever met a shepherd? I've never met a shepherd. A couple of you? Two of you? Three? Four? I've never met a shepherd. Let me ask you this. Did you meet him in America? How many of you met a shepherd in America? Okay, uh, uh, 25% of those four. <laughs> right? Just for those of you who are keeping track. 
I wonder if Jesus were living in Alabama today, what he would have said, rather than I'm a good shepherd, because he was drawing on a picture that everybody recognized. So I went and looked, what are the most common you know, crops in Alabama? Maybe, maybe you recognize this picture, the sixth largest crop. Uh, you may not know what that is. That's a peanut field. I mean, if you grew up in South Alabama, everybody knows what a peanut field is. So maybe Jesus would have drawn from that. Or the fourth largest crop is a cotton field, right? So you, if you've driven around Alabama at all, you've seen these. Or the second largest is cattle. So maybe, maybe you've um, seen cows. You know, you don't have to drive too far out of Alabaster. You start passing cows. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and so maybe he would have pulled a picture. Or maybe this one. Uh, a picture of the number one crop in Alabama is chicken. Yes. I don't know if you know that or not. See, it's, it pays to come to church. You have all this kind of information you can't get by, by Googling it or anything like that. Very, very important. Uh, something else, you know, maybe Jesus would have said, I'm the good chicken farmer. And, and you know what that would have made us? Chickens, right. And that's not too far from sheep, by the way. Now, there's something else you see all over Alabama that, uh, you know, maybe Jesus would have referenced this. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not really sure what Jesus would have done with that, but you get the point. The point is, it's hard to understand Jesus being the good shepherd when we don't really know anything about shepherds. Whatever it means, it doesn't sound very flattering because if he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, and instinctively we realize this is not our first choice. Right? So I've got uh, two sons, 19 and 15, and when they were younger, we'd always give them like animal nicknames. You know, you're going you're gonna to fly like an eagle, and they go, yeah, fly like an eagle. You know what I mean? Are, are, are you gonna, um, you're going to be like a shark. Yes, I'm going to be, you know, going to be like a shark. It's going to be incredible. You're going to roar like a lion. I'm going to roar like a lion. I mean, if you got boys, you know what I'm talking about, right? Never one time did we say, you're going to be like a sheep. Dad! Yeah! They'd have been like, for real? Dad, come on. <laughs> sheep, we instinctively know, is an animal we don't want to be like whether we know anything about them or not. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Sheep have bad eyesight, they're stubborn, and they mostly follow the other sheep without thinking. Sort of run around. <laughs> and sheep are mentioned in Scripture 300 times, by the way, more than any other animal. So we have a lot of material to draw from when we want to understand Jesus' relationship to us. John 10... Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I may lay my life down for the sheep. If you've got something to write with, I want to encourage you to take down these three thoughts today. I'm going to give you on why Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Number one, because Jesus cares for us. 
Here's what Jesus knew about sheep. They don't look for trouble. They're just predispositioned to find it. (laughs) You and I don't look for trouble, usually. We're just predispositioned to find it. It's that old um, phrase you've heard, the grass is always greener on the other side. How many of you have heard that? The grass is always greener on the other side. So when we read through the Bible, we see a lot of sheep that thought the grass was greener on the other side. Adam and Eve thought the greener grass was this tree that God told them not to eat from. King David thought the greener grass was in the arms of another man's wife. King Solomon thought the greener grass was in power and in knowledge and in pleasure. And God knows sheep tend to wander off and eat the wrong thing. So his answer to that predisposition is he's a good shepherd. His answer is he cares about us. In this picture, Jesus is comparing himself. Do you remember the phrase we read, hired hands? Here's the shepherd, here's the hired hands. He's comparing himself to these other hired hands. In other words, there are people who are only helping you for what they get out of it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like them. Don't don't doubt my motive. I'm not helping you just for what I get out of it. We've all seen people who are in a position of uh, in, a, in a title or a formal position that they're not responsible enough to really hold. They have no business in that position because they don't have the proper responsibility for it. They don't care about the company. They don't care about the people under them. They don't care about the people over them. They're just in it for what they can get out of it. And when something bad happens, they're gone. And these people might be babysitting the sheep for an hour or two. But let one wolf show up and they abandon the sheep because they're not real shepherds. So good shepherds were personally invested in sheep. And I'll tell you why. Maybe maybe you didn't know this. I didn't know it until I looked it up. Most shepherds in Jesus' day grew up with sheep from childhood. And the sheep were their childhood friends. These were rural people. They didn't go to elementary schools jammed with a thousand, you know, first through fifth graders. They lived way out uh, in, in a rural sense. They were nomadic oftentimes. And sometimes a child's only friend, other than maybe a brother or sister, might have been the sheep. And so they grew up with this natural relationship with sheep. And so most shepherds were born into families that watched sheep. And it was natural for them to be around sheep. They cared for sheep personally. And it became second nature for them to think about the sheep before they thought even about themselves. Now, uh, a hired hand would never think that way. When the wolf comes to attack, uh, they run away. And too many times, now here's, here's where it applies to us. Too many times we think Jesus is like this. We think of Christianity as something for people who have it all together. We think Christianity is for people who don't make mistakes or who look good on Sunday. That's why we have this phrase we call church face. You put your church face on. We think Christianity is for people who don't sin or don't scream at their children or never talk bad to their spouse or always do the right thing. That's what we think too many times that, that Christianity is for, people who never make mistakes. 
So when we get Jesus wrong, when we get the good shepherd wrong, we get our faith wrong. And we misunderstand. Jesus is not a hired hand that's going to be chased away when you and I do something wrong or say something wrong or have a bad day or when really, really bad things happen, when the wolf shows up, when you lose your job, when you sin, when tragedy strikes, he's no hired hand. That's what he means. He's like, no, no, I'm in this for the long run. I'm not in it for what I can get out of it. I'm in it because I really care about you. When Adam and Eve sinned, they did their best to hide from God. But they could not hide from God because when they ran away and hid, God came looking for them and found them. Because he's a good shepherd, he's not chased away by your sin. As much as you want to put your face on and hide your warts and never let the bad part of yourself out, never let anybody see what's really on the inside, Jesus already sees it and runs towards you. He won't run away from you because he's not a hired hand. So if you're you're living in sin... Or if you blew it really bad this week, you need to know Jesus is not a hired hand. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not too religious to stay there with you and work it out. He he is a good shepherd. And when we get that wrong, we totally get our faith wrong. You know, shepherds named each sheep. It, to us, it would sound like a nickname. Patches, <laughs> socks. Got to be a whitey in there somewhere. Fuzzy. God knows your name. And he knows your weaknesses. And because he's a good shepherd, he, he stays with you and works with you in your weaknesses. But a hired hand only wants your strengths. A good shepherd says, bring me the weaknesses. I want those. So uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I had an um, experience that I, to be honest with you, I, I struggled all weekend, uh, w- whether I was going to share this story with you or not, because I, I really don't want to. Uh, <laughs> really don't want to. Uh, but... To me, it's very important uh, for us to be authentic. And if I'm not going to be authentic with you, how are you ever going to be authentic in, in the community of faith? So I'm, I'm really not good at receiving. Like, I'm, a, I'm not good at receiving. Uh, all of my life, I've equated dependency with weakness. And so people who need something from other people are weak. It's just part of the brokenness that came through my own childhood. And so we were at the grocery store a couple weeks ago, and, and out of nowhere, um, this lady uh, waves at us and comes and greets us, and she's from our church, and you know, just hugs us and says, hey, I just want you to know, um, I already left, and I saw you, and, and, and God spoke to my heart and told me to come give you this gift. And uh, I don't know, you know, it was th- those moments, it was just, I just don't receive well. It's so, so hard for me, so overwhelming to me. And I said, oh, no, no, no. No, don't, you know, no, let's do, no, no, 
No. Just no. I don't have to explain that. No. No, we're good. It's all good. Everything's good. God's good. You're good. Go home. And when I, I didn't say all that. That's just what I was thinking. And, and she said, Pastor, isn't that what you teach us? When God speaks to you, you should obey him? Okay. Well, if you're going to bring that into it. Okay. Thank you. I'm very grateful that you would follow his voice and think about us. So I was processing that through with a friend who said, you know, I think what God was trying to remind you is that you need him more than you think you do. And um, you probably, he gave you a pop quiz, and you probably got a D. (laughs) Very encouraged. I said, well, I was thinking F, but I hear you. So my friend says, so why don't you be on the lookout for the spontaneous provision of God? Because it's probably his way to remind you that you live too independent. And so the longer I follow Jesus, the more I see myself as a helpless sheep that needs the shepherd more than I think I do. So see, the ultimate difference between the good shepherd and the hired hand is the good shepherd will make personal sacrifices for those who follow him. And the hired hand will only get what they can get out of the relationship and then they'll move on. So how did Jesus pass that test? Twice Jesus says in the verses we read, I will lay down my life for the sheep. So this is a great leadership lesson too for all of those of you who are leaders, who leaders in our church or who are managers or business owners or whatever. This is a phenomenal lesson straight from Jesus for us about leadership. The the ultimate test of leadership is, are you willing to sacrifice for the people who follow you? That's the ultimate test. Jesus passed this test like nobody's ever passed it. Not only did he sacrifice for his followers, he sacrificed for his enemies. No greater love (laughs) is this than a man lay down his life for his friends, except for one greater love. And that's that Jesus laid down his life for his If Jesus will lay his life down for his enemies, surely he cares about you. And he's a good shepherd. And there's no thing too small in your life. There's no categories of things in your life. That's how when I came to faith, I thought there were things you dealt with on your own. And there were things that Jesus helped you with. And that's the way it was. And it's not true. Jesus has no categories by which he doesn't care about in your life. He cares about all categories. Number two... Jesus leads us. So here's a question I have for you today. Are you driven or are you led? We have a hard time telling the difference between God's voice and guilt. Because in some ways, um, in some ways they can feel similar. Or we wrongly interpret one for the other. Oftentimes it comes in the area of spiritual things We have these feelings of shame and condemnation, like we don't measure up, we'll never spiritually be enough. When we think about our relationship with God, we tend to think of ought-tos. 
We think of two words. This is how you know you're driven. If you think about your faith, if you think about your relationship with God, if you think about Christianity, if you think about church more in terms of ought to and more, then you probably have areas in your life you're driven. Let me explain that. I ought to read my Bible more. I ought to come to church more. I ought to give more. I ought to invite my friends more. I ought to share my faith more. And we try to draw on our inadequacy from what we're, our adequacy from what we're doing. That's the resource of spiritual life we're trying to draw on. I am spiritual because look at all that I did. And the Bible's completely opposite of that. The Bible says you are spiritual because look at what Jesus did. Have you received that in your life? Have you applied that in your heart? And we have these feelings like we'll never be good enough for God to really love us. Religion may drive you and guilt may drive you and other people may drive you, but Jesus will only lead you. And there's a difference in being driven and being led. Jesus' leadership does not feel like ought to's and it doesn't feel like more. It feels like invitations. Jesus says, there's more life. Do you want it? I invite you to have it. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes, same chapter, by the way, the verse before the five verses we read, Jesus is setting up this contrast between the hired hands and the good shepherd. Listen to how he says it here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The, the thief comes, the hired hand comes, the enemy comes, and he's about driving you into the ground until you die. And he's completely satisfied to use religion or Christianity or church or the expectations of other people to drive you to death. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you want it? I invite you to come and get it. I invite you to come and receive it. This week I read a story uh, that illustrates this so clearly. There was a group of tourists in Israel and they were uh, you know, uh, touring around. That's what tourists do, they tour. You ever been a tourist? You tour. That's what you do. They were touring around, and all of a sudden, in Israel, they passed a flock of sheep that were being, you know, driven through town. And one of the group asked, I thought the shepherd led the sheep from the front. Why is that shepherd in the back? And the tour guide looked at him and simply said, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. Because the butcher will drive you in the back. But the shepherd will lead you from the front. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What about you today? Are you being driven by this, one of these butchers? One of these hired hands? Religion, guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, other people's expectations? Or are you being led by the good shepherd? 
He will lead you and invite you, and you can, he says, come follow me. I can show you where life is. Just follow me. God's not going to drive you. He's not going to whip you. He's not going to hit you over the head. When you feel those emotions, just go ahead and know they're not from him. They might be from childhood. They might be from some mean Sunday school teacher that, you know, embarrassed you when you were a kid. They might be from one of your parents. They might be from, who knows where they're from. Might be from the devil. Might be from your own imagination. Might, if you listen to the, uh, the media long enough, you'll get the idea all Christians hate everybody. Might be from there. But I'll tell you where it's not from. It's not from the Good Shepherd. Jesus, remember what this whole series is about Jesus and his own words? What did Jesus say about himself? Jesus said, I am not the butcher. I am the good shepherd. And so don't pin that on him. Now let me show you how this works. Uh, I'm going to give you a summary. You ready for this? You've got to put your seatbelt on. I'm going to give you a summary of your whole life. Here it goes. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. That's the revelation of Jesus we receive at salvation. Then, in uh, Hebrews 13, Jesus said, oh, it's better than that. I am the great shepherd. And if you read Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, you see that this is Jesus' shepherding work of equipping us for our life mission. And then in 1 Peter 5, 4, he says, I'm more than that. I'm the chief shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, I'm the great shepherd, I'm the chief shepherd, and that's all about how he's the shepherd for eternity. We haven't seen him yet the way we're going to see him, but one day he will reappear. And we will know him because we will see him as he is. And that's all about the chief. He's, not, he's, he's in this for a lot longer than you can imagine. He's not going to get scared. He's not going to run away. He's not going to, the world's not going to get bad enough. A nuclear war's not going to break out. And Jesus is going to go, oh, well, I'm done with them. Jesus says, for now, for your salvation, for your lifetime, and for eternity, I intend to be a good, great, and chief shepherd to you. So Jesus cares. That's why he said he's the good shepherd. He really loves us. He's not in it for what he can get out of you. And Jesus leads us. Here's the last one. Jesus knows us. John 10, 14 and 15, I just want to look back at those two verses again. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father, you see these words know, circle these words know. There's two of them already. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So in other words, Jesus is saying, uh, think about it like this. How close of a relationship do you think Jesus had to God the Father when he was on earth, right? Like tight, right? Really, really, really close. Jesus is saying, I want to have the same kind of relationship with you that I had with the Father when I was on earth. I want it to be the same. I want, I want it to be that close. Somebody once asked uh, Albert Einstein's wife, uh, did she understand Dr. Einstein's mathematical theories? And she said, no, but I understand Dr. Einstein. She knew him. 
And this word know in this verse is a very intimate Greek word that is the same word the Bible uses in other places for the way a husband and wife know each other. It's the, it's the, it's the deepest word of intimacy that we have to explain relational closeness. We don't have a better word. We don't have a deeper word. And so what Jesus is saying is, not only do I know you, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Now, let's talk about that for a couple minutes. So we live in a world filled with noise, right? Have you, have you figured this out? <laughs> it's very noisy. It's very loud. There are constant streams of information coming at us at this unbelievably fast pace. So in a world like that, how, how would you think you and I could, could know Jesus? How do we, when Jesus says, come follow me, when Jesus says, I came to give you life and give you abundant life, and Jesus says, I want you to know me. I know you. I want you to know me. How, how would we do that? There's a phrase from Scripture, maybe you've heard this phrase, and it comes directly from one of Jesus' um, most often used actions. Uh, the phrase is quiet time. Quiet time. And it, ex it describes to us how Jesus grew this close relationship with the Father. So in Luke 5.16 it says... But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Some translations say quiet places. So Jesus practiced on a regular basis this withdrawing from the noise, from the crowd, from the stuff. He withdrew and he practiced lonely time, quiet time. And he, and he practiced that as a way to build relationship with his father. So this morning, I, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a quiet time, the greatest pursuit on earth, greater than a good career, greater than a good marriage, greater than a good family, greater, greater than success, greater than anything else you can accomplish, is a pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. It's the greatest pursuit. And so I want to encourage you if, you, if you have never practiced having a quiet time, first off, it'll just do your soul and emotions good because <laughs> we are drunk on noise. Uh, but this is a way that you can grow this relationship with Jesus. So let me explain how that might look. If you've never had a quiet time, I, I was amazed uh, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I began to be concerned about the youth leaders that I had. And so I thought, you know, at least once a year, I just want to sit down with them and encourage them and find out where they are in their own relationship with God. I don't want them to just show up here and minister to people, and I don't even know how they're doing. So I started meeting with them, and I was, I was to be honest with you, I was shocked. I don't know... I'm, there may have been, out of 25, there might have been one or two. There were very, very few 
and people that I respected in faith who had a quiet time, a regular quiet time. And the ones, maybe, maybe I'm under, maybe four or five, but the ones that did didn't seem to have very much idea what, what, it, what they were trying to do. And it, and it so overwhelmed me that there's a way in which we can do church and it not have much to do with Jesus. <laughs> and I said, this, this has to have more to do with Jesus than this. And so I encouraged them. And, and I can't tell you the feedback that I got was incredible. And how they went, oh, I, nobody ever said that to me. I never knew that. That helped me so much. And so I want to encourage you today. If you don't have a quiet time, let me give you just really simple how it can work. doesn't have to be complicated. If you're not careful, you'll make it harder than it is. Or I used to think when I really, you know, have a great relationship with God, you know, when I really get serious about this, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buckle down and kill it. And here's what I find. If you'll do a little bit, it'll be a, over a long time, it'll be much better than trying to do a lot because you'll quit. So I would say if you're just starting out three to four days a week, three to four days a week, if you can get 15 or 20 minutes and, and read, read your Bible and pray. And it's, it's it. It doesn't have to be harder than that. I would encourage you, the book we're in is a phenomenal book to start in, the book of John. Just open to John chapter 1 and read 10 minutes. And when 10 minutes is up, quit. It's a great way to start. And when you're done with that, sit and pray for a few minutes. Or walk. I walk when I pray. Walk and pray. I promise you, 15 minutes, three or four days a week, will change your relationship with Jesus. And, and I would add one other thing. If you, if you want your relationship with Jesus to grow, I would write down on my calendar the, the Sunday night that soak is happening, and I would do my best to not miss another soak the rest of this year because it will absolutely strengthen your relationship with Jesus. So what about those of you who are sitting here and saying, listen, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years or whatever. I, I'm good with that. Okay, then, then you ought to be at a different level. You ought to be having a quiet time maybe, maybe five to seven days, and that quiet time would probably be around an hour. And you're going to be reading more and you're going to be praying more and you may be using other tools. I would encourage you to look into the, some of the um, more complex books in Scripture. Ephesians and, um, you know, the epistles. The gospels are rich. The Beatitudes, you can do topical studies. Uh, Habakkuk, some of the minor prophets and major prophets. And the first five books of Scripture are phenomenally rich foundation of our faith. I would encourage you to look in the deeper places and, and hang out there. And, and, and I would encourage you to spend more time in less Scripture. So rather than trying to read, it's okay. That, that's a legitimate way to read the Bible too. Four or six chapters or whatever every time you read. But I think there does come a point in everybody's life or for a season when it's really good to get into one chapter maybe and just, and just get deep. And so that's why every summer, this summer we're going to do it again, every summer we do a book study. 
Uh, that's why we did the book of Nehemiah last summer, because we want you to not just have, be saved, we want you to go deep. And so that's why we do book studies in the summer. Now, Jesus doesn't drive you in your quiet time. He invites you. And so what happens when you miss a quiet time? Nothing. <laughs> you just move on. The, the most important quiet time of your life is the next one. It's not the one you missed. It's not the three you missed. It's not the month you missed. It's not I thought I was going to get it right this time. None of that matters. The most important quiet time you'll ever have with Jesus is the very next one. So just do that one. Would you stand with me this morning? I, I want to end in prayer today. And um, I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. And I want to end in a little bit different way than we normally do. But as our prayer team's coming, I, I want to I present these uh, thoughts to you. And I want to ask you in a minute if you'd respond. We're going to do something together first. Yeah, if, if, prayer team, if you just kind of face this way, you're going to need to face this way for what we're going to do. Um, if you have a need today, it doesn't matter how small, it doesn't matter how big. Jesus is the good shepherd. And when we pray today, I invite you, Jesus invites you, bring that need to him in prayer. Uh, today, um, if you... I think the best way I can say it is, if you feel pressure, pressure, boy, you know, you almost go, who, who isn't that? <laughs> but if you feel pressure, something is driving you. Jesus invites you today to receive life and to, and to hand that pressure over to him. And so when we pray today, if you have pressure, I want you to come. I want you to, Jesus invites you to bring it to him. It's an invitation. We're going we're gonna to end this part of the message, and we're going to read Psalm 23 together. Because it's the greatest description of Jesus as the good shepherd in the whole Bible. And after we read it, we're going to go to prayer. So would you, would you just look at the screen, and, then, and would you read um, this chapter with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the bright paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you certainly are the good shepherd. And we feel you in this moment. We hear your invitation. Today, if you have a need, I want you to come now. If you feel pressure, I want you to come and lay that pressure at Jesus' feet. If you hear that invitation of Christ to come and know Him, I want you to, I want you to come right now with every eye closed and everyone praying. I want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. Bring that need. Bring that need. Bring that need right now. 
people are coming. Come on. As people are coming, I want you to, I want you to bring that need that you have. Jesus is calling. I want you to bring that need. No raised hand, no other thing. I just want you to bring that need to the Good Shepherd because He loved. Jesus wants to minister His love to you today. He wants to minister His care for you. He wants to meet those needs. He wants to fill your heart. He wants to wash away the drivenness, the pressure. He wants to relieve. He wants to restore. I want you to come down the balcony and the floor. So worship team, come on, begin to lead us. I want you to come right now and let the prayer team just pray with you. We're going to pray with you. That's all we're going to do. We're going to minister life. We're going to minister peace, grace. Come on, worship team, go ahead and lead us. Are you hurting and broken within? Just a couple minutes. Oh, we'll just by the way of sin. Jesus is.